Well, it is great to be back here with you this Sunday. Grab your Bibles, if you would. Uh, our text is John 14. John 14, 6 through 14. If you're joining us and you haven't been here in a little while or you missed last week, uh, unlike the weather over this next week, which is just going to be crazy and hot and bright, um, the mood that we're stepping into in the text, it's, uh, it's, it's low and it's dark. And Jesus is communicating uh, words of assurance to his disciples for, what it, for what's about to take place. He's getting ready to head to the cross. He's right on the eve of heading to the cross. And his disciples, these men that he's been with for three years, they're, they're just not all there. They're not totally grasping what's going on. They really don't have a vision for what lies ahead, even though Jesus has explained it to them 219 times. I didn't count that. That's just a made-up number, but something like that. And, um, and so Jesus, if you notice last week in John 14, 1 through 6, Jesus came to his disciples and he said, look, I want to assure your hearts. Don't let your hearts be troubled for the things that are on the horizon that you can't yet see. Right? And he, he assured them in a couple different ways. He, well, first off, he, he, he dealt gently with their trouble. So we saw something in the character of Jesus where he approaches us. He doesn't do it harshly. We'll see that again today. But he approached them gently. He acknowledges that, hey, there's junk going on. There's stuff. And it's okay. Believe in me. Trust in me. Remember who it is that goes before you and who, who's, who's going to show you all this grace and mercy. He also gave them something to look forward to. He said, hey, I'm, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Like, remember that. Get your sights a little less set inward or, or on your circumstances. Um, and, and, and have a more eternal perspective because I'm, I'm actually, where I'm going, you can't come with me, but I'm actually going to prepare a place for you because the big goal in the end that is going to come to pass is that you're going to be with me. For where I am, you will be also. So he, he encourages them. He gives them something to look forward to. And he also just redirects their eyes back to him. And by the way, I mean, that's just the reason why we gather on Sunday, right? What, what, if you were to ask me, Ronnie, what do you think your job is? I would say, I don't know. Um, but, most <laughs> laughs when I say that, um, it's just to redirect your eyes back to Jesus. I ain't Jesus. Don't say yes so quickly after I say that, but it's true. Um, my job is to say, hey, let's redirect our eyes. Let's look back to Jesus. And you see that as we pick up here in verse 6, Jesus said to Thomas, after Thomas says, after all this time, Thomas says, Lord, we don't know the way. Show us the way. And Jesus goes in verse 6, I am the way. He says, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then picking up in verse 7, he said, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, he says, you, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him in verse 9, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what the Lord does here is he, he continues to assure his disciples. He does it through some, some correction, some gentle correction. But he also does it by providing some clarity, which he's done over and over again. If you've been with us as we've been journeying through John over the, the last uh, half year or so. One of the uh, great sports movies, if you guys are into sports movies. I love sports movies. And one of the great ones, I love to watch every fall, is a movie called Hoosiers about a basketball team back in the 50s um, from Indiana, a uh, small school. A new coach comes in, played by a guy, an actor named Gene Hackman, uh, Coach Norman Dale, and he just, his job is to just take this team and do something with like the five or six players that they have on the team. It reminds me of the, the basketball team I was on in my high school. Don't everybody gasp all at once, but I was on a basketball team in high school. We had six guys. And um, I was the sixth guy, as you can imagine. There's no doubt about that. Man, oh, man. And uh, it's all right. You always need a sixth guy. And, um, but Coach Norman Dale is tasked to come to this small town in Indiana and just wrangle this basketball team into shape because basketball is super important to this town, to this school. And he takes these guys, this team, who had been taught one way of playing, and he just kind of introduces a new way of playing. And it goes horribly bad for Coach Norman Dale and the team. They're not doing well. They're not adapting to his methods. The real problem was that there was a guy named Jimmy Chitwood who was just a star player, but for some reason he was not stepping into the team. And so in a sense, they were just kind of waiting for Jimmy to step in to bring everything together. And finally, Jimmy joins the team. But until Jimmy was in the mix, it wasn't clear how far they could go, and when Jimmy joined the team, they started blossoming. Jimmy reminded the team of what they could accomplish when they had the right person on their team. He brought motivation. He brought inspiration. He brought clarity to who they were, what, what the, the task was that was set before them. So as Christians, we just need to keep getting a fresh vision of Jesus. We need to keep getting a fresh vision of who he is, what he has done, so that we don't drown in the forgetfulness of our, of our hearts that, that we just so easily fall into because our, because our hearts get grimy, right? Our hearts get grimy. So every time we, my, we get in the car, my wife walks around to the back. We have one of these backup cameras. You know, we have a Ferrari. That's what they come with. And she just, she puts her, that was a joke. We, you ain't all paying me that much, right? But she... Uh, she gets her thumb and she just wipes her thumb across like the backup camera because it gets so grimy. And I got to tell you, she does it because the worst thing in the world would be is I actually have to like twist my head and look behind me when I back up out of the, out of the driveway. That would be an outrage, right? We have cameras for that now. But if we don't keep it clean, it just can't serve the purpose for which it was, was built, right? It collects dust. It collects dirt. And your heart collects dust. Your heart collects dust. And Jesus is constantly clearing out the grime of our hearts. Actually, through one of the things, what we're doing right now. And Jesus was constantly clearing the grime from his disciples' hearts. They don't understand what Jesus is doing. They forget Jesus' words. They ask Jesus for more signs to prove that what he's saying is true. They have an incredibly hard time believing him. I mean, if that sounds familiar, it's because it's us today, right? 
The disciples need what we need, which are moments of clarity. They need a reminder of who Jesus is, why he came, and what that means for those who follow him. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at two moments of clarity that Jesus provides for his disciples and providing for us in the process. The first one will be clarity on the divinity of Jesus and then clarity on our destiny as his disciples. So the first one we're going to look at here is clarity on his divinity. That's what Jesus lays out um, beginning in verse 6 and then when Philip asked the question that uh, he asked. Now since I am not Jesus, and I should just get an amen on that, right? Um, Philip's question, I got to be honest, would have just destroyed me. Philip's question here when he says uh, in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. I mean, it would have just killed me not being Jesus since after what Thomas had just asked, kind of he was asking the same thing, right? No matter how many times Jesus tells these brothers, there is still this misunderstanding about his divinity that he is God in the flesh, even after telling them repeatedly. I feel like anybody but Jesus would have literally given up by now. All I do is talk, and none of y'all listen, right? Jesus even sounds frustrated in his response to Philip in verse 9 when he says, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How, How can you say, show us the Father? And by the way, Jesus has not been vague with his disciples. He has not been vague in the book of John. Nobody's going to appear before Jesus and say, I read John 50 times, and I, I don't know, I never knew you were God, right? It's just not going to happen. He's never been vague. In fact, just taking one other verse in John, John 12, 44, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I've come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Jesus has given incredible clarity, if there was any doubt, for the claims that he is making about who he is. Now, first off, we don't want to interpret the tone of Jesus here as being somehow off or as being somehow angry or as like, kind of like, like the tone of my Italian family, you know, when somebody is not understanding something, right? Those would be words I'm not comfortable repeating you know, in a room like this, right? Jesus' tone is, is gentle. It's like we saw him last week with Thomas. It's, it's full of patience. It's, it's just like overflowing with, with understanding. Jesus is not shaming Philip. He, he's not treating him like a fool either. He's seeking to teach Philip through the art of reminding Which is, by the way, what reassurance is. Reassurance is being reminded of that which is already true. But what Philip is asking for in verse 8 is a sign. He's asking for a specific sign from Jesus. Kind of like, you know, Moses and Elijah. These Old Testament prophets that were given these these limited, but these just kind of over-the-top incredible visions of God's glory. What Philip was failing to grasp in this moment was that Jesus was the fulfillment of those Old Testament visions that guys like Moses and Elijah were receiving. 
And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Look, look, you want this vision of the Father that guys like Elijah and Moses will receive. But like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. It's that much more significant, Philip, that I'm here with you right now. He's trying to get them to understand. The point of Jesus coming to earth was to reveal himself as God in the flesh. So we kind of look at this and we go, oh my gosh, man, what does it take, fellas? And yet, it's understandable if we back up and we try to gain a deeper level of understanding, it's understandable why those disciples struggled to grasp this. If you go back to Exodus 33, when Moses asks God to let him see his glory, what does God say to Moses? And again, this is a story, this is an event that would have been etched in the disciples' minds, something they would have learned um, all, through their, all through their childhood, all the way through to adulthood. We remember that God tells Moses, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So it's kind of understandable, right? So for the disciples to imagine that Jesus was God in the flesh, who they could see and touch and not die, it was a stretch. It was a radical development in their thinking. But it was incredibly important, which is why Jesus keeps doubling down on it all the way through the Gospel of John. Why is he doing that? Well, on a practical level, we know that Jesus will be leaving them shortly. Death is imminent. Resurrection is imminent. His ascension back up to heaven to be with the Father is imminent. It's happening soon. And these brothers are going to be thrust into the ministry of the early church. For them to begin this mission without a faith that was, has absolute clarity on who Jesus is, well, it means that they will flounder when they're faced with persecution and all the crisis that they're about to face. So whether we realize it or not, this is your greatest challenge. This is my greatest challenge as Christians who are, yes, made in the image of God, but who are also very human in our understanding of these things, just like these brothers, Right? We are incredibly unstable people, just like these brothers, right? We need constant regrounding. We need constant reminding about who the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And we know this because of how easily we fall apart. We know this because of how easily we fall apart when trials and tribulations come our way. We know this because of how quickly we catastrophize our lives as if Christ somehow doesn't factor into everything that's going on. We are all Philip. We are all human. I can envision Jesus saying to me, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Ronnie? The disciples needed to know that everything they needed to know about God was found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. All the power and glory that God possessed was found in the power and glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus is emphatic about this because this is the heart of not only the Christian faith, but how you see your place in the world. See, these brothers needed to know what their place was in the world. Who is it that you're following when I get ready to send you on mission here in a couple of months? Who are you going to be reminded about when you are facing the level of crisis and persecution and stuff that's on the horizon that none of you guys can even fathom right now? 
It's going to be important that you remember who I am so that you can remember how you approach all the stuff that's ahead of you in this world. And so that's the second thing that Jesus provides clarity on is the disciples' destiny, where they're heading, what they're about to do. He gives them clarity on that. In verse uh, 11, believe me that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. And then he says, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. So Jesus also wants his disciples to get a grasp on what lies ahead. He already told them in verses 2 to 3 that he was going to prepare a place for them. So what does he mean here in verse 12 when he says, greater works than these will you do because I am going to the Father? Well, it it certainly doesn't mean that Jesus is saying, just wait, guys, because you're going to be even greater than I am someday. But that's not what he's saying. And and by the way, in a normal like mentoring relationship, um, it would be a little bit different. In a normal mentoring relationship between two human beings, um, that can be our aim. Hey, I'm training you because, because I actually want you to exceed me. I actually want you to grow in a level of knowledge and understanding so that the things that I'm modeling to, to you, you can, you can do more if God has that for you. So in a normal mentoring relationship, that, that makes a lot of sense between human beings. What Jesus means here is that the disciples will embark on a mission that will reach greater numbers of peoples, greater numbers of nations than he was able to in his earthly ministry. Jesus only reached a small number, relatively small number of people locally compared to who the disciples were going to reach globally after he ascends and he launches this whole thing, this whole mission with them. Jesus says, look, all the works that I've done are the works you're going to do. And we see it. We see this play out in the book of Acts as the disciples went out to all these other nations and they performed all these miraculous works. Healing the sick, restoring sight to the blind, casting out demons, raising the dead, seeing lives transformed through the preaching of the gospel. They continued his work. They were his succession plan to bring the gospel to the nations. Okay. From my theological perspective, I would say that our mission is the same, but slightly different, all right? Does the Lord still do some of these miraculous works that he performed through his disciples? Well, I would be cautious in saying that he doesn't, but I would say that it's not normative like it was at this time, especially and maybe certainly not in Western culture, where we are very kind of, we're very scientific We push back against the supernatural. We don't leave ourselves open to the work of the Spirit like you see in some other cultures. What we do have greater clarity on is our mission to be salt and light in a world that is just immersed in darkness. So that is something we do have clarity on. The other thing we have clarity on is that God grants our requests when our desires are aligned with the purposes, will, and desires of Jesus, which is what is the thing that empowers our mission. We, we read about that in verses 12 through 14 right here. Truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And then in 13 he says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now this is really important for us to get clarity on. First off, 
the Lord takes delight in your prayers and in your requests. So let's just start there foundationally. The Lord takes delight in your prayers. Uh, Proverbs 15.8, the sacrifice of the wicked is detestable to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. What that tells us is that you can take everything to the Lord and he receives it with joy. What? Like bring it to the Lord. He receives it with joy. He receives it with delight. Philippians 4, 6 says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. So whatever you got, bring it to the Lord. Whatever you got, bring it. Your prayers are safe with Jesus because he receives them already saturated in mercy and grace. Your prayers don't catch Jesus off guard. Your prayers don't annoy him. They don't cause him to do this divine eye roll, right? Bring him what you got in all the messiness that comes with it. Because this is how you receive clarity and courage for your mission as his disciple, right? Now, listen. Again, for increased clarity in a sermon called Moments of Clarity... Uh, for the disciples, for his disciples back then, I mean, these brothers were first century witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. So God granted them certain gifts that would give evidence to that. To the power, to the glory, to the truth, to the authority of Jesus. This man who claimed to be God died, was risen from the dead, and was seen by a bunch of people, by a bunch of witnesses. They were given gifts to give evidence to the fact that that happened and that was true. So Jesus is saying, look, when you ask for those things that give glory to the Father and testimony to my death and resurrection, I will grant you those requests given what you're about to embark on. For us, we need clarity on this so that we don't fall into bad interpretations of this verse that turns God into our butler, right? A guy that has to give us everything that we ask for, kind of like spoiled children, right? The verse is not meant to put God in the role of, you know, a genie. Where we rub the lamp, he appears, and our wish is his command. I mean, who do we think we are, right? Um, and maybe you've grown up in a, a certain tradition that said, hey, you kind of go in with God, you, you, man, you just tell him what you want. You kind of be a little demanding. You know, you claim it. You name it. And God is somehow going to be obligated to, like, grant your request. I mean, you know, like I just said, all genie style, right? That's not the way this works. And by the way, this is not the way we see it work anywhere in Scripture, right? Anywhere in Scripture, right? We ask the Lord freely, but we ask him humbly, understanding that we don't even know what we're asking for a lot of the times. That shouldn't prevent us from asking, but it should change the way in which we ask, right? And by the way, when we talk about asking for the sake of the Father's glory, God's glory is contained in so many different things. So many different things, which is why we don't, listen, we don't narrow down what we ask. We instead work in narrowing down our motivations and desires so that what we ask better aligns with Jesus. Does that make sense? Don't narrow down what you ask. Bring it all to him. But you know what happens in that as you are sanctified, as you grow in your maturity with Jesus? What you ask is just going to be shaped different. It's just going to be different, you know? It's just going to be different. There was a time 
when I was getting a dollar a week from my dad at four years old, man, it was, it was low back then. In, you know, the inflation was even better than that back in the 70s. I just got to tell you right now, still fighting a little bitterness on that one. But I used to ask my dad for that dollar allowance, and he gave it to me. I was not asking that dude for a dollar when I was 18. I asked him for five dollars. You know what I mean? No, I, I mean, I, I, needed, I needed more than that. I didn't, I didn't just want his money. I wanted his presence. I wanted his wisdom. I wanted his care. Those were the things that were, had become more important to me. Why? Because my relationship with him had matured. It had changed. I trusted that if I needed a buck, God was good for it. But I needed something more than that. And my maturity uh, led me to having that kind of heart toward him, right? So as our relationship with the Lord matures, we don't ask him for less. We ask him more for the things that we know give glory to the Father. And whether he grants them is up to him. And when he withholds them, we trust that there is a reason that we don't yet have clarity on. Or maybe never have clarity on, you know? We read the book of Job. Job never got clarity on why God decided to take so much away from him. God never gives him an answer, right? The important thing to remember is that you are being transformed through prayer into the image of God and his glory, which is what helps you be an effective missionary for Jesus who is constantly asking Jesus for those things that will equip you in that mission. That's the big piece that's happening uh, right here, right? So let me circle back around to Philip as we close our time here. Because like Philip, we can be incredibly forgetful people, which means we constantly need clarity on the divinity of Jesus, and we need clarity on our destiny as followers of Jesus. But we can be incredibly forgetful people. We can be slow in our understanding of spiritual things. By the way, there's precedent for that as we read all through the Gospels. And there's also grace for that precedent, which is why we learn through reminding. And we need to pray constantly. We need to read scripture constantly. We need to come to church weekly. We need to be encouraged by other Christians continually. We need spiritual constancy. Why? Because constancy creates clarity about Christ. Constancy creates clarity about Christ. You can read the same scripture a hundred times and then bam! Just like that, it comes alive to you in a way that had never occurred before. It happens, right? You can pray a hundred times and then have a moment where you experience God's presence in a way that you never have before. And by the way, when that happens, God, God, God didn't change, right? It's not like he's grown. It's not like he's matured. God didn't change. The Holy Spirit changed you to be able to experience Christ in deeper and richer and more life-giving and more clarifying ways. But you need constancy with Jesus for Jesus to become more clear to you and in you. And that's what these brothers had. And by the way, he also has patience with you on your road to clarity. Jesus didn't give up on Philip. He didn't give up on Thomas because they still didn't get it. In fact, if we fast forward a bit, we see the story of Philip continue in Acts 8, where it tells us that he proclaimed Christ 
to the Samaritans, not an easy mission, not an easy task. We read about the time he sat down with the Ethiopian in Acts 8.35, and it says, beginning with the scriptures, he told him the good news about who? Jesus. Philip eventually got there. He eventually got there. The dude that said, Jesus, show us the Father and we're good, was preaching Jesus as God in the flesh after Jesus ascended to heaven. Philip eventually got there, and you will too. You will too, as long as you stay close to Jesus. As long as you keep your nose in his word. As long as you pray daily for his help, you ask good and hard questions. You avail yourself of the riches of Jesus. Because he's going to increase moments of clarity in your hearts and in your minds. Gene Hackman, Coach Normandale and Hoosiers, when Jimmy finally joined the team, he said, now that we have Jimmy, I think we have a real chance to win. Jimmy reminded the team of what they could accomplish when they had the right person on the team. They just needed clarity to remember who they had, what their job was, what they could do. It's so easy to forget. It's so easy to forget. And our forgetfulness would be debilitating if not for the faithfulness of Jesus. And it's not because being a human isn't costly. It is, right? We can all think about things we've lost because we dropped the ball, because we made a critical error or we missed something that cost others something valuable. That's just going to happen, right? But Jesus responds to our forgetful blunders like we see here with faithfulness, with patience, with love, mercy, and grace. And when we come to him in that kind of state, we come to him with all of our questions and our quandaries, Jesus will always provide a moment of clarity by being our moment of clarity. Right? But we have to stick with Jesus. Philip became clear on Jesus and clear on his mission because he stayed close to Jesus. Where does your life veer from that? Let me do a little self-reflection this morning. Where does your life veer from that? What do you need to be reminded of today that you lack clarity on? Well, what we see here is that we start with Jesus. We also go through the middle with Jesus. We also end with Jesus. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start with Jesus. What about remembering who he is and his divinity and his status and role in your life as God in the flesh? How will that help you as somebody who has been called out of darkness to be a reflection of his light and to operate in this community, to operate in your spheres of influence, to operate in your jobs, your homes, your recreation, as somebody who is giving testimony to the truth that Jesus is God and that there is life change for those who receive that. Start with Jesus. Do some self-reflection as you think about the things that you need clarity on, as you think about the things in your life that have become just muddied. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the kindness that you show your disciples Lord, when they are just not getting it 
and we're reminded of ourselves, the things that we are slow to get, the things that are confusing to us, the things that we need clarity on. And so, Lord, today we read these words just being reminded that you offer us that clarity, but we start with you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through you. And so, Lord, a lot of times we are sidestepping. We are trying to find moments of clarity by not starting in the right place. And sometimes our lives become more confusing as the result, especially when we're facing crisis and we're facing difficult things and when our hearts are troubled. So, Lord, I pray that we would begin with you even today as we scatter, as we go back to our homes, we go back to our jobs, our places of employment, our schools. Lord, remind us, like you reminded the disciples, that you are God and that you are holding all things in your hand, that you are preparing us to be witnesses to your testimony. Lord, encourage us this morning. We all are forgetful. Ten out of ten here today in this warehouse are forgetful people that need to be reminded of what their life means because you died, because you rose, because you ascended, and because now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, giving testimony to who you are. Lord, let us run with that as we continue to run to you over and over again. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.